Good morning, Nashville. My name is Braden Gall, and this is the 444 Wednesday, January 5th. Coming up today on the show, we'll take a deep dive into the South's domination of college football over the last 25 years. The Memphis Grizzlies are doing spectacular things out in West Tennessee. We will hear from John Glennon of Sports Illustrated about the return of Derrick Henry and how that changes expectations. But we begin with a very bizarre incident with Bud Dupree and a Walgreens. If you are thinking about doing something major with your home, you need to have all of the information. You need to think it through, take your time, plan it out. This is where the Kingston Group comes in. BuildKG.com is the website. Have a conversation with them before you make any major decisions about your home because they will help you in the process. Even if you don't use them, they will be a valuable asset for you. BuildKG.com is the website. The Kingston Group, Nashville's locally owned custom home and remodeling firm. Remember that name, the Kingston Group. So it didn't seem like this was going to be a huge story, but the Metro Nashville Police Department have charged Titans outside linebacker Bud Dupree with a misdemeanor assault citation in the alleged incident hours after Sunday's win over Miami at a Walgreens in North Nashville. Dupree can surrender at any time and will then have a court date set before a judge. Based on all of the information we have, it doesn't seem like this is a huge deal. Generally, according to Emily Proud of News 2, this type of incident for a first-time defendant is anger management classes. Dupree and some friends didn't like that someone at a Walgreens started taking video of him on their phone. There was some pushing and shoving and cussing and a skirmish ensued. Based on some limited video footage obtained by Broadway Sports Media, it doesn't appear that anything violent took place. However, the video doesn't show the entire incident, and there certainly could be more to the story. To me, after you read the reports and watch the video, it looks like a bunch of folks from two parties disagreeing and getting a little hot about it. I've seen worse on Lower Broadway at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. If there is more, something along the lines of a violent punch to the face, for example, then Dupree could face something heavier than just anger management classes. Everything we have gleaned so far, however, from the citation to the police report to the video, does not appear to illustrate something dangerous taking place, and that everyone seems to be okay on both sides. Dupree's explosiveness off the edge has been the driving force for this Titans' now very dominant defense, and not having him for any reason would be a huge blow to this team's playoff chances. Stay tuned. ESPN's Diana Rossini reported late on Tuesday evening that Titans running back Derrick Henry is expected to be at practice on Wednesday. He jogged on some grass last week in cleats, apparently, and of course, there's a chance he could play against the Houston Texans. So let's bring in John Glennon of Sports Illustrated to take a look at exactly what this Titans team's expectations would be should Derrick Henry return. Uh, you know, and obviously that's a 21-day window of practice, you know, for Derrick Henry. Um, my guess, you know, if, if he is healthy enough uh, and, you know, and if he does get a few practices in, you know, I'd like to see him play a few snaps, honestly, against the Texans. Obviously, you know, uh, the game is is probably, um, you know, going to be won with or without Derrick Henry. But, you know, for a guy who's been out that long, you know, just to get a tiny taste of of contact, of timing, et cetera. I, and I'm talking only maybe three run, three, five runs, maybe something like that. Uh, you know, I, I would like to see that, whether whether Mike Vrabel and the Titans would agree with that. If he does come back, remains to be seen. But you know, I, I think that would be the way to go. 
So let's say hypothetically, however he's worked back into the lineup, whether that's a little bit against Houston or not, with Derrick Henry, as this team is currently constructed with the way the defense is playing and the way the offense plays when A.J. Brown is out there, what are reasonable expectations for fans? Have they changed now that you think Derrick Henry could be back on the field? I think so, yeah, because he certainly, you know, brings that home run threat, uh, you know, from the running back position more so than, than uh, you know, Deontay Foreman and, and Dontrell Hilliard. Certainly the running game has held up very well, you know, very similar numbers with or without Derrick Henry. But, yeah, I think he has that home run threat, and, and I think he also improves the Titans in two other areas, you know, play action. Uh, you know, a lot of people say it doesn't matter the back. I, I would tend to disagree. I think there's better play action with a guy like Derrick Henry in there. Um, and you know, I, I think just in terms of clogging the box, you're going to get less of that without, uh, or excuse me, you're going to see less defenders in the box, uh, you know, without Derrick Henry. And so I think that opens up the passing game a little bit when he does come back. So, uh, you know, with, with him back in there, I think that that does raise expectations. I think, I think certainly they can contend with any team in the AFC. What concerns me a little bit is still the passing game. Uh, of this team, even with AJ Brown back there, you know, if, if they wind up with a, in, in a shootout, you know, with a Kansas City or Cincinnati or someone along those lines, can they keep up? And I'm not sure uh, at this point that they've satisfied, uh, you know, can give a satisfactory answer on that yet. John, always a pleasure. Enjoy the season finale, and we'll be talking to you during the playoffs. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Braden. Enjoyed it. College football has grown into a national sport and the United States' second most popular behind the NFL. But as the business of college football has gotten bigger, the circle of teams capable of winning the national championship has shrunk. Monday's national championship game between Alabama and Georgia is just the latest example of how the South is dominating the sport. Since the BCS era began in 1998, a team from the Southeast or in the SEC footprint has won all but three or four of the 23 national championships depending on what your definition of the Southeast is. The SEC footprint has won 19 of the last 23 national championships, with of course another coming as either Georgia or Bama is set to win yet another title. If future SEC program Oklahoma counts as the Southeast as well, which might be a stretch, then the South will have won 21 of the last 24 national titles by Tuesday morning. The SEC alone has seen five different schools win 13 national championships since 1998, and that number could grow to 6 and 14 if Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs win on Monday night. They're currently a slight favorite. Clemson, Florida State, Miami, and Texas all reside in SEC states and have won a combined six championships since 1998. The only two schools outside of the Southeast to have won a national title in the last quarter century are Ohio State in 2002 and 2014 and USC in 2004. Around the turn of the century, a few critical market forces began converging on college football, and it has led to the South's domination of the sport. First, the rise of the internet and coverage of college football recruiting throughout websites like Rivals and 24-7, which has elevated the value and science of recruiting. With more spotlights on high school prospects, the focus on spending to acquire talent has gone up. Second, the dollars inside the sport have soared as athletic department budgets and coaching contracts and broadcast rights have skyrocketed from the tens of millions to the hundreds of millions. Hell, ESPN just paid billions of dollars for what amounts to one SEC football game per Saturday. Where does that money end up? That's right, in SEC recruiting coffers. 
Lastly, of course, population trends over time indicate a broad and slow but definitive migration of people from the Rust Belt to the Sun Belt. More of the best players are coming from the southern states, while fewer are coming from the Midwest or Northeast. With more money, more focus, and more access to talent, the South has taken over the sport by stockpiling the best players in America in an unprecedented way. And I'm not sure any of this is ever going to change. So much would have to happen for the SEC to lose its stranglehold on college football. First of all, the Pac-12 would have to get its act together, hire great coaches, and learn how to recruit. Ideally, this is what Lincoln Riley was hired to do at USC. Maybe former SEC assistant Dan Lanning can do that at Oregon. Basically, the West Coast needs to keep the best West Coast players on the West Coast. But it would take a lot more than just that. Jim Harbaugh has to build off his best season at Michigan. Former SEC assistant Mel Tucker has to be great at Michigan State. First-time head coach Marcus Freeman will have to dominate Notre Dame and establish an SEC-style recruiting culture that even Brian Kelly couldn't do. Former SEC coach James Franklin has to recapture his recruiting magic at Penn State. Nebraska has to be better again. And the new Big 12, without Texas or Oklahoma, would have to maintain some sort of playoff relevance. If the answers to all of those questions are somehow yes, then maybe there is a sea change of power coming to college football. Maybe new rules like name, image, and likeness, the transfer portal, or playoff expansion could actually help the sport rediscover some semblance of competitive equilibrium geographically. But I seriously doubt it, because I don't see any of those things changing the dynamics at play. And all I see is the South and the SEC only continuing to tighten its grip on college football. After all, it does in fact just mean more. The Memphis Grizzlies won again on Monday night and then again on Tuesday night on the road against Cleveland. It is the Grizzlies' fifth and sixth straight wins as John Morant scored another 26 points, just four shy of his fifth consecutive 30-point game. This Memphis team is now 25-14 and 14 on the season and sitting in first place in the Southwest Division and fourth place in the Western Conference because of its month-long tear through the NBA. Memphis has won six straight and 16 out of 20, some of that without its star point guard, and is routinely beating teams that many consider to be championship caliber. Morant scored 41 in a win over LeBron and the Lakers last week, in which LeBron couldn't even get a shot off in the final possession. Morant hung 33 on the Suns in a road win last week and then dropped 36 in a road win over the Nets on Monday. John Morant's first two seasons in Memphis were fun and somewhat charming because this wasn't supposed to be a team that was going to win anything in a ridiculously loaded Western Conference playoff scenario, pandemic bubble or otherwise. But this team is about halfway through the season and is clearly one of the better teams in the league. Much like with the Preds, short-term expectations have slowly changed for this franchise. And it's good for sports in Tennessee to have a fun, legitimately good NBA team to cheer for, especially one led by a legitimately electric superstar like Morant. Can they keep it up for 40-plus more games? Who knows? But for right now, this team is just as good as the Titans or the Preds or Nashville SC within their own sport. And it is important that we do not forget about that while it's actually happening in front of our faces. The 440 is brought to you by the Kingston Group. You know the drill. Nashville's award-winning, locally-owned, custom home and remodeling firm. BuildKG.com is the website. Just go look at the work. It speaks for itself. Trust the process. The Kingston Group. BuildKG.com. 
Thank you guys all for listening, of course. Please check out all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network, Club and Country. Tim Sullivan had a couple of great guests on that soccer pod this week. Make sure you check that out. The Gold Standard Podcast covering the Nashville Predators with Adam Vingan of The Athletic. Lamestream Sports, of course, talking media, as well as Fringe Element covering the SEC. Don't forget the Titans pods from the guys over at Broadway Sports Media, Football and Other F-Words, Music City Audible, Titans 10, Home Run Throwback, all that great stuff. So make sure you're checking out all those great shows on the 440 Sports Network. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall, at 440 Sports. Thank you guys all for listening. This has been the 440 for Wednesday, January 5th. The 440 is a production of 440 Media, written and produced by Braden Gall, music by William Tyler.